Hey, this is Dr. Priyanka Venugopal, and you're listening to the Unstoppable Mom Brain Podcast, how to create better results with less exhaustion with Heather Shulming. I am bringing you such a fun episode today. It is a conversation with leadership coach, Heather Shulming. Heather is the host of the podcast, Emotionally Uncomfortable. She is an author, TEDx speaker, and honestly, she is just such a delight to talk to. Today, we are going to be really talking about how women often ignore their own intuitions and their gut, particularly in the way that we have all been raised, to really focus on action plans. And one of the things that I love about today's conversation that I cannot wait for you to hear is Heather's perspective, her approach, and her tangible skills that she's going to be giving us some tips on, how to to shift away from your to-dos and not to-dos and really focus more on how you want to feel. I think that this conversation was so brilliant, particularly for high-achieving women, because I know I'm just like you. I often focus so much on my to-do list. So this podcast is really for any ambitious human, particularly working moms who really want to start guiding more of what they want, more of the results that they want in their life. But instead of using your planner and your to-do list to get there, to really guide yourself with how you want to feel. If you love today's episode, then we want to hear from you. Take the episode and share it over on Instagram and tag us so that we know how much you loved it. Also, if you love today's conversation, I want to make sure you know to get onto my email list. I share specific skills, strategies, tools, and mindset hacks that I think are so valuable for the high achiever. So if you're enjoying the podcast and the conversations we're having here, make sure you're on my email list. You can get onto my email list over at the unstoppablemombrain.com forward slash magic. Let's get into today's conversation with Heather. If you want to reach your ideal weight and create lightness for your body, you need to have simplicity, joy, and strategic decisions infused into your life. I'm a physician turned life and weight loss coach for ambitious working moms. I've lost over 60 pounds without counting points, calories, or crazy exercise plans. Most importantly, I feel calm and light on the scale and in my life. There's some delicious magic when you learn this work and the skills I'm going to be teaching you. Ready? Let's get to it. Hey, Heather, welcome to the podcast. I have already introduced you once, but I'm going to have you introduce yourself. I cannot wait for everyone listening to get to know you. Heather is a leadership coach, and she has a lot of wisdom and a lot to share with us about how high achievers and overwhelmed women can break free of their fears to start courageously and authentically living and working and parenting on their own terms. So Heather, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. And tell us all about you and how you got to do what you're doing. Thank you, Priyanka. I'm so excited to be here. This is my favorite topic ever. I like to say overwhelm is a symptom and it's also a superpower because as women, our brains are designed to multitask, always not life enhancing when we don't know how to kind of manage our minds and our lives and all the things. So going back a little nutshell version of who I am, I've been doing this for over a decade. And a lot of my personal story has forced me to reevaluate the conditioning of women and the cultural expectations as being a mother, but also like marrying like my desires and and then who people want me to be. So going back, I have three boys. They're currently 18, 13, and 10. I was 18 when I became a mother. And it was, you know, my first kind of moment of feeling like I was failing in the sense of like failing at my core as a human and as a woman. I mean, when you're a teenager, you're like, ah, who cares, right? Or, you know, you have the people pleaser. I was not the A-plus student. I was not the people pleaser. I was more of a rebel, which I think has really supported me in my life up to this point, but was not cheered upon as a teenager. And when I became a mother, I just remember looking at my son feeling like, I didn't want to become a statistic. And what that meant was what people expected me to become as a single teen mom. And so fast forward, went and got my social work degree, fell in love with meditation and mindfulness and seeing and understanding other people's behaviors, especially children's behaviors, because I was so incredibly frustrated not knowing how to manage his big emotions, his anger, his anxiety, and all the normal children things or what I thought are these normal, right? I did not know. And then 
fast forward, having three boys, married all the things, I just kept listening. It was like co-creating with my, people call it your gut, your intuition, your desires, whatever it was. But I kept doing the right things, like air quotes, right. I wanted to be good. And I found myself thinking like, not this, not this, not this. Like my gut being like, there's more like the little whisper. And so I had to step out of conventional wisdom and begin to to say, this is not working. I don't want to be overwhelmed. I don't want to be chronically depleted and anxious and like all these things. And so that's when I left my corporate job as a social worker. I started podcasting. And then fast forward to, I've been doing this, well, like I said, almost a decade. But while I was in startup in my business, after I left my career and I was really focused on parenting, like the parent-child relationship, I started to hear things from women like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for myself. My marriage is falling apart. I hate my job. Like money stresses me out, like all these things. And I was like, okay but you hired me for parenting. So like, come back, come back, come back. And 10 years ago, while I was building my business and supporting these like women, mainly women, my body started to deteriorate. And I was diagnosed with a stage four cancer. And the interesting part about that is I had like nine years of personal development under my belt, like nine years of investing in myself. But I did not look at, do I feel like I am worthy of investing in, like feeling good? And Mm -hmm. so that was when my relationship changed with my work, my messaging. That was, you know, we care so much about our children. We care so much about being good for everybody else. And we think that how we show up doesn't matter. We think that it is selfish to invest in ourselves, time, money, and energy, But what happens when we don't? And the universe was kind of just like, all right, you think you don't have time? I will show you that you don't have time. And since that day in that moment, I have completely shifted how I show up, how I work, how I parent, how I lead, and now teaching other women how to do the same. That's amazing. I'm curious when you had that moment, because it sounded almost like before you got that diagnosis, you had already started hearing your intuitive gut, Mm -hmm. like something, there was a whisper for you saying like, I don't want this. I don't like this overwhelm. What do you think it was that was blocking you even before that diagnosis that was blocking you from listening to your gut? I, I say this only because I think that there are so many women and high achievers that they do get the whisper. They get that intuitive hit, like, this is not right. I don't like this. I'm working too hard. But then they kind of bulldoze over their own intuition and their own inner desires. And I think that that gets practiced and then eventually blocked. So what do you think it was that was blocking you from listening to that intuitive hit? And then, of course, I understand that your diagnosis probably propelled it forward. What do you think it was for you? Giving myself permission to feel good. Like, get permission. It was just permission. I mean, I scream all the time from the rooftops, like, please do not get a stage four diagnosis or something traumatic happening to you for you to check the box of suffering. Like, I actually remember the moment where I'm like, okay, I'm done. I will never, ever Mm -hmm. suffer this much again in my life. Like, I am done. But the fact that I could make that choice, it was an intentional thing. Like, all these life things were happening to me, but I had choice, like everyday choice. Am I going to drink the water or am I going to pour yet another cup of coffee? Am I going to, like, bulldoze through my to-do list or am I going to put a boundary and say, whoa, you've been at the computer for four hours, get up and go get some sunlight for 20 minutes, then re-enter. Like I had to realize that I did have more control over how I felt than I gave myself permission to actually believe. And a huge part of that was that I had to become the leader and the mentor and the thought leader, and I'm using air quotes, that I was seeking out. I couldn't find women at the time that were doing the quote unquote work-life balance, which I don't believe in the term balance, but there was people that were like, you know, business, you can kill it at business, but then you're going to suffer at home or like, you know, vice versa. And I don't believe in like a perfect alignment, 
but I didn't want to give up on my dreams of growing a business or like the desires inside of me to be a good mother. And I also, I knew that I would be resentful at my children. I just knew intuitively. So it was really about permission, but it's very uncomfortable to realize like you're leading a new path and you're going to be judged for that. I actually think about permission a lot because I think this is a common thread with high achievers. And I've always thought about where does this desire for permission come from? Because we're not born with it, right? When we're born, like a baby comes out, they come out crying. They're not asking for permission to cry, to pee, to poop, to be demanding, to ask for all the things. They just ask with no permission. They have this like unbridled desire and they just like let us know exactly how it is. And I think along the way, society and our families of origin and the grownups that we're around train us, right? They're training us and teaching us like, listen, you need permission to have such a big reaction. You need permission to feel this way. You need permission for all of these things. And, and I kind of wonder at what point is it for us that women, especially, because I don't see this as much with men, what point is it for women, especially that they internalize it to the point that it starts driving their whole life? I mean, I think high achievers, especially are looking for permission from work, bosses, partners, kids, to listen to their intuitive gut. And I wonder why, what do you think it is about women, especially that take this so internally? I think it's fear because when I look at myself before I became a mother and because I became a mom at such a young age, I didn't identify as a high achiever. Like no adult, no teacher would have told you that. Like I was the least likely to succeed because in a state of fight or flight, I just, I would shrink. I would sleep. Like sleep was my drug of choice. So I didn't, I wasn't like outwardly anxious in that sense. I just tried to numb my feelings through sleep and avoidance. And so the high achieving actually came from a drive of failing as a mother Mm -hmm. and then having to overcome and being the responsible one for other people. So as I went into adulthood, the permission seeking is interesting, though, because I had such a, I'm just going to say I identify as a rebel. So I never had an issue of being like, but why do you do that? Or just questioning, right? People tell me what to do. I'm going to do the opposite. So that was not healthy as well, because people are like, you're going to fail. And I'm going to say, I'm going to show you, right? Like I was trying to prove it to the world. That's not healthy either. So as I'm doing all the things, I'm getting pats on the back as well. Like, look at you, you're super mom. You're so young. But internally, I'm like, I'm dying. Like, this is not good. Mm. It's not sustainable. I can't do this forever. But it's like, don't let them see. Like, you you got to keep going. You're responsible for another human now. And so I do see this in a lot of high achieving women. Like, it's not just your families. Now you have teams around you. Like, you're responsible for other people. And you don't know, like your identity is wrapped around it. So you're like, I don't know who I am without this drive inside of me. But for me, I actually, at first it was driven from a place of fear. Like I took the action because I wanted to run away from Mm -hmm. my fear of failure. And then I was just like, oh, yay, people are giving me accolades for this. Like, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And I knew, like, you got to stop. You got to slow down. You got to do this. But I was like, I can't. And I remember being, like, harshly judged by family and friends for the way that I decided to do things. Like, because I was so young, when I became a mom, I wanted to go away, like, to what normal people would do in their 20s. Like, I wanted to explore the world. I remember being judged for that, like from my own family. And I'm like, but there's a part of me that like really needs this. And I can tell if I don't do it, I'm going to be resentful at my child. And I can't do that either. But I see this all the time with my clients at the top when they're like ambitious, they're like, I can't slow down because everything will crumble. And I'm like, is that true? Like they're driven by fear. It's this fear of this false evidence that appears real. And once I get them to feel that fear, like the actual feeling, which is why my podcast is called Emotionally Uncomfortable, because it's like sit in it. Oh my gosh, everything didn't crumble. And I was like, no. But when we don't know how to manage the fear, that's why we overachieve and burn out. I, first of all, love that you call yourself a rebel because I call myself a recovering people pleaser. And so here we are. It's like two ends of the spectrum, right? So Mm -hmm. for me, growing up, if like an adult figure was like, go do this, I was like, okay, 
got it done, check, you know? And I think it's so fascinating that on either end of the spectrum, whether you identify as a rebel or you identify as a people pleaser, this is something that will infiltrate into your lived experience. And I wonder, you know, I think a lot of what you were just talking about where when you get to the top and you're considering challenging some norm, a rule, you're worried about it all crumbling down. One of the big themes that I find, I'm curious what your experience is with this, is the idea of always not being enough. Either I'm not doing enough or being enough. This has been a theme in my coaching group now for a couple of weeks where women are really having a hard time, uncomfortable. They're feeling emotionally uncomfortable at the idea of challenging this impossible standard that they have set for themselves at work, as a mom, in their relationships. There's a fear. If I say no, if I challenge this rule, then there is something that is not enough. So what do you say to those women that are being driven? There's a fear, right? Kind of what you were mm-hmm. saying, that if I challenge the standard, I'm not enough, and they feel mm-hmm. like that's what's holding them back. Okay, I love this conversation. So I love that you call yourself a recovering people pleaser because I, oh, yes. although I identify <laughs> as a rebel, I also call myself a recovering rescuer. So uh, yeah, I w- went into social work. Like I wanted to <laughs> rescue people. Like that's the legal, respectful way <laughs> to be a rescuer. Like, or you go into a healthcare, <laughs> right. a healthcare field, or you become yeah. a coach. Like you're still yeah. there's. I remember seeing a little a meme or a reel on Instagram. It was like a comedian talking about his therapist, and was like, his therapist is saying you love collecting broken people, and he's like, so do you. And I was like, this is mm. so true. It's like the legal way, mm. right? So recovering rescuer, you know, I'm like trying to rescue people. And I have seen that was me not wanting to like hold a boundary with people or let them rescue themselves again, because who am I if I'm not rescuing people? Like, I think the reason why there's not enoughness is our value is tied to it. Our identity is tied to it. Yeah. So here's where I am currently at in this whole we love labels, right? So we love to label people as ambitious or whatever. I'm a visionary. I've often thought, okay, why can't I just be normal? Like if I gave this up all today, what would I do? And I'm like, wow, that would be difficult for me. Like that would not feel comfortable in the sense of like, that's not how I'm built. I want to create. I want to do, I want to whatever. So my team will say to me, like, we hit this milestone. Do you want to celebrate? And I'm like, yes, and. You guys can celebrate, but like, just please know it can all crumble at any moment. Everything is temporary. And they're like, Heather, can you not feel, can you not feel like celebration? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I get neutral and numb about it. Mm -hmm. I have had to come to accept that in the personal development space, we love to, you know, like label people as wrong and bad. Okay. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, is it bad or wrong that I, I'm not like, yay, yay, yay. I'm like, and let's go next, next, next. Maybe it's the shadow side of being a big dreamer, a big thinker. But here's my thing. If you're not enjoying the process or you're sitting there being like, my God, this is so hard. I'm burnt out. You are out of alignment. And so if Mm -hmm. I can feel really good and celebrate the little things, but always have this edge And I mean, celebrate, like have moments of being proud of myself and the work Mm -hmm. that I've put in, but like, okay, what's next? Okay. What's next? I just think it's, it's almost like it's a primal instinct. Like it's, Mm -hmm. there's always going to be a double-edged sword, but you have to be mindful of like, is this life enhancing or is this me actually like, is it hurting me? I think there's a Mm -hmm. fine line and not obsessing over never feeling enough. I think it's part of the human condition as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's so, I love that you said that. I was just telling my clients this past week, some of the work that I've had to personally do in my mm-hmm. own coaching journey was to allow myself to celebrate and recognize myself. And I think what's so interesting in what you just said is part of the discomfort, I think this is again for women, is there feels like there's a discomfort with being seen. And maybe celebrating yourself or recognizing your accomplishments means like you're being more seen, right? Whether it's more seen by your local community or the internet or something, you're you're being more seen. And there is, I think, something that can feel scary about that. And when we don't feel safety 
in that, I think we are blocking ourselves from celebrating and recognizing, but that's like part of my goal. 2023, I was like, the goal is to celebrate, to have more fun and to create personal safety in being seen. Because especially with the work that you and I are doing, if we don't create safety with being seen and having our voice be heard, I think that fewer women would benefit. And so that's my vision, right? Like we have to create safety and then show other women how to create safety for themselves to be recognized and seen because then they get to go and have a larger voice in their families, in their workplace and in their life, which I think is, it is so important. Well, I also think that's part of the reason why we don't feel safe is because, you know, historically that hasn't been the case. And so Mm -hmm. we think like, oh my gosh, I should figure this out by now. Why is this my problem? And like, it's just not acceptable. Like we're still unlearning. We're still breaking barriers. I think I've come to a a place where, again, you do so much work, you read so many books, you get the coaching and we're all trying to like perfect the human experience. And sometimes you don't have answers. And I think the way that I actually celebrate myself now that we're talking about this is to give myself permission to feel Mm -hmm. good. I'm not a very material person. So when people are like, what are you going to do when this happens? How are you going to celebrate? And I'm like, I will probably celebrate by taking a week off and like saying no to everybody who wants to get on my calendar. Like that's actually how I'm going to celebrate myself. I'm not going to go buy shoes. I'm not going to go on a vacation. Like, yeah, sure, maybe. But celebrating myself is like holding a boundary and like, and doing the inner work when I'm like, you should be doing something, you should be doing something. No, like having that space and time, I guess I do celebrate myself that way, but I don't do it externally. So then people are like, you never celebrate yourself. I'm like, I think I do with myself. I just don't have to throw a party about it because I love that. Yeah. It's like redefining celebration in a way that aligns with you, right? It's got you kind of going back to what you were saying, creating alignment for what you want, your desire for how you want to celebrate. I love that because I think that we have these ideas of how things are supposed to be, how a marriage is supposed to be, how you're supposed to be a mom, how you're supposed to be a leader at work, how you're supposed to show up in celebration. And I think that that's the other piece for not enough. If we don't meet the standard for what we think it's supposed to be, it keeps driving the not enough. Right. It's like, mm, see, not yeah. I'm not celebrating enough because I didn't celebrate with that big party the way that I, I'm supposed to, or I'm supposed like what people think I should do. I think that that's the other piece for the not enough because we're so used to using external parameters to define enough. That's yeah. The and I think that's why I actually have a very difficult time with it because I teach mm-hmm. people it's not the thing you're after, it's the feeling. So mm-hmm put the feelings on the calendar. And there's a way that I teach people how to do that. It's called energetic time management. But an example, wrote my book in 2021 and it was in the middle of COVID. So I didn't have a big launch party. So it went well online. I mean, everything's virtual now. So I'm like, okay, I have to do this in-person launch party. Like I threw myself a party like in September. I'm like, I got to do this. And I, I did it. And I was like, all right, that's done. Check. Like, but to me, I celebrated way before, but I was like, you need to do a launch party. You need-. And I was like, oh, now I'm doing this to please you because externally mm-hmm. that's what celebration looks like. But, yeah. you know, I'm crying tears of joy, not posting it on the internet because I was so proud of myself for doing the thing. And this more that we're after, like yeah. enoughness, like what is it? There's a difference between I don't feel worthy And then you have to challenge yourself, right? Like Mm -hmm. I tell this to women all the time, if they're in business, I'm like, well, no wonder why you're at capacity and burning out. Like you're undercharging or you need to Mm -hmm. like, well, I could never do that. I could not. Mm -hmm. Why? And then you get Mm -hmm. to it and they're like, well, I don't think I'm worthy of that value. And I'm like, why are you making it about you? And I'm like, that's, there's so much in there. So it's like, redefine what enoughness is. Is it you're not enough because you have so much life left to live inside of you and you have big dreams? So you kind of have this download of the next 50 years of your life. So you're like, okay, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Or is it like the not enoughness because you actually don't feel worthy of receiving anything? You have to be mindful of this. And that's where the journey continues. So my rule of thumb is 
If it's a desire inside of me, it was meant for me. If I don't act on it, that desire is either going to go away and go to somebody else, or it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it explodes in my face. So I mm-hmm. need to act on it at some point. That not enoughness will always be there. But also this like, you know, my husband says to me all the time, you're, oh, you're so humble or whatever. And I'm like, I just don't care. Once you've achieved a external goal of hitting a revenue goal, writing a book, doing the things, you think something magical is going to happen and you get there and you're like, this is it. Nothing's changed. Oh, every so single time I've that hit changes. any mile marker, this is the part that, that I want. I mean, for anyone listening, you will, you will resonate with this. Anytime you hit a mile marker, you get there, it feels good for a minute. And then you're like, what's the next thing, right? It's like, I got through medical school. I thought once I graduate medical school, I'm set and good. And then it was like, oh, nope, we have residency. And then after residency, it's like the shifting sand, it's like the line keeps moving and moving and moving. And I think that that's why when we use that external standard to define enoughness, we're going to always feel not enough. 100%. And it's like one of my my core principles, one of the intentions that I have on this podcast and for anyone that ever works with me is how do we really start having an internal validation point for ourselves? We know what our own inner desires are. We know what our own inner ambitions are. What if we could see the outside world, see the standards that that are placed around us, but use our own internal validation to define enoughness? Because otherwise we're going to keep chasing the impossible standard. And rather than challenging the standard, which is what I want high achievers to do, we question ourselves. And it's it's like the worst way because you're going to keep chasing, which doesn't feel good at all. Yeah. The last few years, I've shifted a lot in my personal and professional life. And I, I think raising a teenager has shifted a lot of that. So it's like, oh, I need to become a different version of myself. Oh, there's grief here. Oh, you know, hitting milestones in my business or career and then going, well, who am I now? Like it's a whole different level. And it's been fascinating to watch where people will like, oh, do you want to do this? Oh, this person, they've achieved this. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care. It's all about a feeling, all Mm -hmm. about a feeling. But there are some mind games where you're like, is this external or is this internal? And I tell people all the time, I'm like, it's not the thing you're after. It's the feeling. So you want to lose the weight. How do you Mm want to feel when you lose the weight? You want to feel lighter. Mm -hmm. You want to feel energized. Mm -hmm. Then you need Mm -hmm. to create that feeling today, not right. Right. Oh, that's so good. I'm wondering because one of the things that you mentioned was energetics and then your calendar, because I'm a big calendar person. I'm like, again, some recovering people pleaser. I'm also a recovering planner. I used Mm -hmm. to be the person that would like have every color marker and highlighter. I mean, four different kinds of planners and apps. And I loved planning because it just felt like if I planned more, that means I'm going to produce more. It means I'm going to be more productive. And it's Mm -hmm. literally not the way it works. So when you said that, my ears perked up. So tell us what is energetics and planning and how how does Mm -hmm. that work? So let me ask you this. When you are, are you the type of planner that you plan? Do you actually follow through with the plan or you just love the planning process? So my old self used to make all the plans and not follow through on the plans. Mm -hmm. And now when I plan, I follow through. That's been a long journey to get there, but I was someone that would make the plan and then feel like, ooh, that was really like, I've accomplished a lot, but not mm-hmm. actually accomplish anything afterwards and then just make a new plan. So every yes. Monday we're making brand new plans and throwing away old plans. Yeah. It's like a form yeah. of perfectionism. It's a form Absolutely. of like the plan without the action. So I tell mm-hmm. people, I'm like, great. What's the action that you're taking? They're like, well, I'm not taking any action. Like that's why you're not getting the result. But the second yeah. you start taking the action is where the feeling comes in, right? The resistance, mm-hmm. the not enoughness, all of that. So mm-hmm. I like planning ish kind of. I Mm -hmm. go in seasons of loving it, not loving it. I think because now I've conditioned myself that like creating a plan doesn't create transformation. It's just Mm -hmm. like 10% of the whole bigger picture. So energetic time management is getting clear on how you want to feel and then reverse engineering it. So I teach Mm -hmm. a process. There's like literally a little mini course I teach on my website. It's in my bigger coaching as well. And what we do is number one, you get clear on how, like what it is that you want. So you can say my favorite journal prompt that I use is wouldn't it be nice if, 
And wouldn't it be nice if is not asking you your goals and desires? It can be. You could be like, wouldn't it be nice if my business hit a million dollars, $10 million? I don't know. But you can also say things like, wouldn't it be nice if I could have a day off? Wouldn't it be nice if I could drink a glass of water right now? Wouldn't it be nice if I felt really good in my pants? Wouldn't it be nice if someone cooked dinner for me tonight? Like all the little and big things. And then step two is you go next to each kind of thing that you've written down and you write down the feeling that you're after. Lighter, energized, like no one's ever going to say, I feel like crap here. I feel like like it's all the good feeling words, what you want and desire. Then you take the feeling word, right? Free, energized, abundant, alive. And you start like brainstorming, huh, this all depends and it's more of a practice. What are some things that I could do today that can allow me to infuse more of that feeling? So from a business perspective, it could be, I'm not going to have meetings in the morning. I'm going to do it in the afternoon or I'm going to take Fridays off. Fridays are like, you know, in the summer, I'm going to take Fridays off. Like whatever it is, like you have to ask yourself those things. It could be a physical thing or it could be, oh my gosh, I used to love dance as a little girl or something. You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to take an adult dance class or I'm going to watch a YouTube video. For me, for the longest time, I had to physically put food on my calendar and have an alarm because I would bust through my day. I wouldn't eat. And then at the end of the day, I would be exhausted and it was causing burnout because I was like a Ferrari trying to make things happen during the day. And then I was exhausted. So I had to learn how to fuel myself. Right. And so I had to learn how to live in alignment with how I wanted to feel. So I started putting these things on my calendar. That's where the planning piece comes in. So instead of having this long to-do list, I had more like a to-be list. And I started putting those things on my calendar first and then putting the things around it, like my to-do list around it. And now it's the way that I think. So I'm always thinking, how do I want to feel? How do I want to feel? How do I want to feel? And Mm. I'm always aligning with that. And so an example of this is not just about the physical calendar. That's the planning piece. But now this translates into business models. Now this translates into relationships. Okay, I have to have a conversation with my child. I want to feel connected to them. What are the words that I can use? What's the energy I can bring instead of, you know, persecuting and blaming and shaming? And if that does happen, because I yelled and I'm human, can I go back and say, you know what? I'm really sorry, you know, and own my stuff. So I'm always thinking, how can I feel where I think the average person doesn't ask themselves that? I think they're like, how much can I get done? Oh, this is so good. This is so good. I love this. So the example that that's coming to my mind is, you know, the example that you said was like, I want Fridays off for the summer. I can imagine like a working mom is like, that would be just lovely. But really the feeling, if you go to the next step, the feeling that she's probably desiring is she wants to feel relaxed. She -hmm. wants to feel more relaxed in her working mom life. And so what you're saying is instead of trying to just focus on getting Fridays off to use that feeling of relaxed as her internal compass, Mm -hmm. and then brainstorm what are all of the things that she could do now today to feel more relaxed and put those things on her calendar so that she starts to feel more relaxed now. And then she gets Fridays off or not. It's like not even really the point. It's the point is that she's creating feeling relaxed. Is that Mm. what we think we need versus what we actually need are two different things. So, you know, when we're coaching people, People come in and be like, I need to do this or I need to do that. And I'm like, well, if you knew how to solve your problem, you would have solved it by now. So it's not just because you're not following through. You don't actually know what you're doing. That's why we have professionals. So I often see this when women come in and they're like, my child needs to, my partner needs to, I just need to make this much money. I just need to leave my job. That's a big one. I just need to leave my job. And most of the time, I'm like, first of all, if you leave your job, what are you going to do? I'm going to start a business. Starting a business is not easy. It's not as easy as everyone makes it look like online. It's a different identity. You still got to work. You still have to show up. And sometimes it's just implementing boundaries at work. Sometimes it's using your voice. Sometimes it's like dealing with your crap with a certain person. And so it's not the thing you're after. 
it's the feeling. Right. So, yes, so like when someone comes to you relaxed? and they they say like, I need my kid to behave differently. I need my partner to do this. I need to quit my job. Mm-hmm. That's the next question that you're asking them. Like, what is it you're trying to feel? So the first question I ask them, usually let's be specific. I want my yeah. children to listen to me. Love it. And I will say, well, first you take out children. So I'm a huge fan of Byron Katie work, like mirror work, turning it back on yourself. So I I want to listen to myself. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, wow, that's deep. No, I would just much rather project it onto my kids and blame my (gasps) children. I want to listen to myself. Like that's a big thing of like, well, how do I listen to myself? I don't know how to listen to myself, right? Because we're Mm -hmm. so used to meeting everybody else's needs. So the Mm -hmm. reason why, I mean, it can get very philosophical and like big, but then I ask them, great, how do you want to feel when you are communicating with your kids or when you're talking to them? Well, I want to feel connected and I don't want to yell. Okay, cool then why are you yelling? Well, I'm yelling because I'm overstimulated and my body is in fight or flight. Why? Because I'm neglecting my needs and I'm not paying attention to what I need because I'm living in a chronic state of fight or flight. So it's like, great. So you have to be proactive instead of reactive. So these Mm -hmm. people are in your life showing you where you need to grow. So This I learned previous to my diagnosis, like 10 years ago. And then after my diagnosis, I was like, it's go time. Like I need to become this. I need to master this skill. But some of it was like, I've never experienced that before in my life. Like when you tell people, like people will say, I want to feel energized. I want to feel relaxed. Okay, great. Tell me when you lived a relaxed life. They're like, well, I've always been a little anxious or, you know, stressed Mm -hmm. out you know, or they'll say previous to children or previous to this, I was relaxed. Well, you, you're not going to get rid of your family. You have to learn how to like live in your body now. And so I had to physically put these things on my calendar, but I would ask myself, what would like an alive person do? Hmm. Well, they're not going to sit in bed all day crying themselves to sleep. They're going to get up, feel their emotional discomfort, take a shower, you know, like even if it's a few things they have to check off. And so I had to push myself to become this type of person. I had to push myself to go on that walk when I didn't want to go on the walk. I'm never motivated to do things. I'm motivated Mm -hmm. to make an impact. So I have to become the type of person that does the thing that I know will result in a feeling that I desire after. But it's all of that excuses and stories that we tell ourselves that is the strongest form of resistance. And that's actually what we're working through on the daily. So Mm. I look at my kids and I'm like, why won't you listen to me? I'm not listening to myself. Mm -hmm. and I'm not listening to my kids, you know? Right. Right. It's both ways. Like we want yeah, it's. I think for me, because a lot of my own work was around my son and me wanting him to listen to me, me wanting him to be different than he was. And I think what was the most biggest breath of relief for me was this piece. Yeah. Like, oh, I want him to listen to me because I want to be heard. I want yeah. to feel heard. And I'm like, oh, here I had no idea that I had not been listening to myself. I had not been hearing myself and I've been putting it on this like little, he was like three and a half at the time. And I'm like, okay, then we've been putting a lot of pressure on a three and a half year old to listen to me rather than like me doing the heavy lifting. I love that your podcast is called Emotionally un- Uncomfortable. Because Someone asked me I'm that. Not they're, like, they're like, is it say unstable? I'm like, no, emotionally, yeah, emotionally uncomfortable. uncomfortable. I love that because what you're saying is we put in how we want to feel as our compass, right? As our, like, that's the way that I want to feel. But tell me if this is kind of what you're saying. You have to be willing to feel uncomfortable in the moment to be able to create that too. It's like, you want to create relaxed now, but it's uncomfortable. You're going to be challenging like your familiar patterns to create that. So like, how do you, what do you think about like that dichotomy of challenging old patterns, doing the uncomfortable thing now to feel the way you want to feel now? So the funny thing is my podcast used to be called Mom is in Control. Mm. And people found me because they're like, 
parenting control. Like they wanted to feel in control. <laughs> yeah. That is not a feeling. Yeah. Control is not a feeling. I'll ask yeah. people all the time. How do you want to feel? They're like in control. I'm like, yeah. that is not a feeling. That is a yeah. masculine state of being like controlling something else. And as I kept talking over and over and over again, I'm like, why does everybody keep saying they want joy and abundance and freedom and energy, but they will not feel their fear or their guilt or their shame? Like not even for 10 seconds. They avoid it. Yeah. Like, it's just like, come on. Yeah. Oh, well, I can't do that. Cause that would make me feel guilty. Oh, I can't do mm-hmm. that. That's too scary for me. That's a, that's a big risk. I'm like, I just told you to like do a five second video on Instagram. Like, why do you think you're going to die? Like mm. pay attention to this. Why are we allowing our feelings to control us so big? It's self-awareness, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. There's that moment. If I want to, I don't know, there's so many things I could choose from, but like examples, something so silly. I have all these things I need to get done today. I also need slash desire mm-hmm. to go to the gym. Yeah. yeah. Going to the gym, there's resistance around it for me, but I feel amazing when I'm done. That is not my comfort zone at all. For some, it is. So I could sit here in my comfort zone and bust through all these things. So I have to now do the inner coaching to be like, okay, I need to have boundaries and be like, okay, work for an hour and then you're going to the gym, just get to the gym and then you come back to this. I have to have boundaries. I have to feel my feelings in order to do that to get to where I want to go. And people are constantly like, well, Heather, I'm doing the thing. And I I still, I feel resistance. I feel scared. I feel this. And I'm like, yeah. Also, I like to use the mason jar as an example. Mm-hmm. I usually have one mm-hmm. on my desk. Let's pretend this mason jar is full of like black coffee. It's dark. Okay. Black coffee representing fear and guilt inside of you. You're full of fear. You're full of guilt. If I want joy and ease and abundance, I have to start pouring that into my cup. Like let's pretend it's water. I probably need to pour. I should do this as a scientific experiment. Like I'm teaching kindergartners, like 10 times more water to get rid of all of the coffee till eventually this actually becomes fully clear. Right. Right. So I need to pour way more into my cup. And then eventually I'm like, Oh, okay. The relaxation is here. The ease is here. The second you do Mm -hmm. something that you think is going to relax you, everything you've been avoiding is going to bubble to the surface. So you Mm -hmm. just have to keep at it, keep at it, keep at it until one day you're like, oh, I actually feel a little more relaxed, but you will not feel that way at first. Yeah, I love that. And it kind of from almost reminds me a little bit of like retraining your nervous system and rewiring your brain. I think, and this is a lot of what I do with my clients. We talk about how do you rewire your brain? How do you change old habits? It's exactly this, right? We have to start taking new action, but it has to come from a new feeling, right? That's the key. We can't just bulldoze with another action plan. I know. Ask me how I know, because I've tried. I've tried every action plan. Every plan cannot rewire our behaviors or our brain. We have to come from a new feeling, which I just, I love because then you retrain your nervous system. And you get to receive more and have more, which is, I think, what women really want, which I love, which is so good. So Heather, there was one thing when your team reached out to me about doing this podcast, I was thinking about what it is that my audience, which again, is like high achieving women, working moms, I think about what they want, what they need, what they really desire. And a lot of it is what we've been talking about today, which is rewiring and energetics and this whole thing of really retraining our nervous system. Mm -hmm. But I think what a lot of my audience loves is practical strategies and practical steps and tools. So I love that you shared your three steps for the energetics around how to change your calendar. The other thing that I thought I loved was the 10 minute habit. I was Mm -hmm. super intrigued by that. Can you tell us what is the 10 minute habit? How do we incorporate this into our life? Yes. So this was inspired by James Clear, The Atomic Habits. So I'm, yes, I love surrounding myself with science minded people. And the ones that I trust, I'm like, great, you do the research, but I am not a science geek. Like, I'm not going to do the science. So I'm like, all right, I trust you. Let's do that. And I watch how people are like, okay, yes, they're the person. The book, Atomic Habits, go read it. It's like the science of creating transformation and change. And James talks, James Clear talks about this two-minute rule. Like break everything down to two minutes, right? You want to go to the gym? 
just put your shoes on like day one, day two, get in the car, day three, shoes on, get in the car. You might drive to the gym and then turn around and go home. Like the breaking it down to basics. So I'm like, how can I take this concept and marry it with my energetic time management process, which is like managing the energy, not your time based Mm -hmm. on like what you desire. So Mm -hmm. we went through the process. You've discovered that your feeling is relaxed. You're like, what is the thing I'm going to do on a daily basis that feels relaxed? I have no idea. Let's pretend you're like, I'm going to go for a 10 minute walk in the middle of my day. And that actually makes you uncomfortable. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be emotionally uncomfortable. So you're like, oh, wow, no, I could never do that. I just need to plow through my day. So if it makes you uncomfortable, you know, you're headed in the right direction. You do it for 10 minutes every single day, like Mm -hmm. religiously. If you're like, oh, that's my comfort zone, then you have to pick something that is an edge for you. It depends on how your brain is wired. Some people love to do those things as avoidance strategies. Some people will not do them. So it doesn't have to be 10 minutes of meditation. It could be anything. You're like, oh, I'd love to sit and read a book, but that makes me emotionally uncomfortable. Then whatever it is, you're doing it for 10 minutes a day. And at the end of the day, you're done. So for me, with the whole workout thing, although it was longer than 10 minutes, my goal at the beginning was just to get to the gym. If I couldn't Mm. get to the gym, I had to work out in my garage for 10 minutes and Mm. that was it. So even if I was like, oh, I'm working out, today's a good day, I'm going to keep doing it longer, I would do it longer, but I just committed to something consistently for 10 minutes that was in alignment with how I wanted to feel and that's the 10-minute habit. And it's a lot more difficult than people think it is. I mean, I'm just even imagining right now, because as soon as you put those words, it's emotionally uncomfortable. You have to pick something at your, I call it like a growth edge, right? Like what's at the edge of your comfort. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the part that people do their U-turn. They get to their edge, they start to feel emotionally uncomfortable, and then they reverse back. They're like, let's just stay in in the zone of comfort. But I think that the thing that tips people over, why are they willing to do the 10-minute habit if it's emotionally uncomfortable? They desire the result more than their current status quo. And I want everyone hearing this to really think about that. Whatever result you're desiring, whether it's for your body, for your work, as a mom, as a wife, anything, if you desire that result more than your current status quo, this is the currency to get there. Going to your growth edge, being willing to sit with the discomfort, knowing Mm. that you're safe right? Like I really like to go back to safety. Like you're okay. Feeling uncomfortable. I'm safe. Nothing is happening. There's no lion outside the cave that's going to eat me. I'm okay right now. Creating safety in the discomfort is such a beautiful step forward, which I just love. Thank you for sharing that. I love it. I love that you talk about safety so much because it is Mm -hmm. right. You're, you're not going to feel safe when you're growing. And so you have to co-create with this. I started developing a relationship with my emotions. So whether it was fear or guilt or just resistance in general, because I couldn't label it, I was like, oh, this is the, because I have three children. I'm like, this is the fourth child I didn't know I had. And I started Mm. treating this resistance like a child having a tantrum. So I was like, I'd close my eyes right before I'd send that email. And I'd be like, you're okay. You're Mm -hmm. okay. You're okay. And so when I started treating that resistance, like an actual person, it was like, I got you, I got Mm -hmm. you, but you got to move over for a moment. You're safe. You're safe. You're safe. So I do think sometimes, you know, we're doing the breath work. We're doing the mindfulness. We're doing all the things. We're like, that feeling is still there. It's like, it's going to be, you know, how do I get over this? How do I get over that? Like, we're still looking to perfect our way through our emotions. It's like, unfortunately, you're going to have to feel your feelings, even if it's just Mm -hmm. for little moments of time. Yeah. It's the example that's coming to my mind is like, but I did all the right parenting techniques and strategies and my kid is still acting up. Like I thought this was supposed to fix something. And it actually speaks back to even this idea of people thinking that they need to fix themselves and other people when in fact, there's nothing ever to fix. It's actually, we just need to recognize who we are as humans Mm -hmm. and that there is going to be the good with the uncomfortable. And that's just the real nature of how it is. There's nothing to actually fix when we're uncomfortable, which I just love. I was going to say that's such a juicy like statement. And I've started to surround myself with people who are like, thank you for sharing. I Mm -hmm. greatly dislike 
when I'm in the presence of people and I'm having a human experience and I'm like, I just need to be heard right now. And they're like, thank you for sharing. Do you need anything from me? I'm like, no, just hear me. I dislike when I'm expressing or letting something out and they're like, well, do this, do this, take this. And I'm like, oh, you're trying to fix me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be fixed right now. So Mm -hmm. it's such a good reminder that as women, we don't need to know the answer all the time. We just need to be able to hold space as well. And it's also just a good reminder that we don't like that feeling of needing to be fixed either. Here we, like, I think this happens often, I know, because again, I've done it. We think if only the kid, the partner, the job, the boss, the colleague, the friend were different, then we would get to feel a certain way. And I think what we're talking about is nobody wants to try to be fixed. We don't either, right? And so what would it look like to embark on self-improvement without that as like the lens that we come into it with? It's just, I'm going to go to my growth edge and I'm going to bust past it. I'm not fixing anything. I'm growing. It's, I think, such a different perspective, which I just think feels better. 100%. And people know that when you're in a relationship with them. Stop trying to fix me. It's like, yes, yes. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I needed that reminder. Yeah. So good. Heather, it was so good having you on the podcast today and sharing everything with us. Tell all of the lovely listeners how they can find you and learn more about you. Yeah. So podcast, Emotionally Uncomfortable. I hang out there a lot. I also have two other private podcasts that branch off of this. One's on parenting and one is on business. I also have like the ETM process that we talked about. I break it. It's a little mini course. I break it down into five steps for you. Workbook, all the things. You can check that out at Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com forward slash free gifts with an S. And all resources are there where to find me, all the things. If you didn't write all of that down, we'll put the links in the show notes so that people can just directly come and click the link and they will be sent to all of your amazing resources. Thank you so much, Heather. Bianca, this has been amazing. Thank you. Bye. If you're loving the podcast, you're going to want to grab my free email training specifically designed for the high achiever. This email training will cover the three most common obstacles that high achievers face and exactly how to overcome them. I'm bringing you this email training after coaching my clients for hundreds of hours and personally solving this problem myself. These are the most common obstacles that I see holding back dream results time and time again on the scale and in your life. And the best news is that they are solvable. You will not find this information anywhere else. It is seriously magic. You can go and grab this email training over at theunstoppablemombrain.com forward slash magic. I hope you guys have an amazing week. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Unstoppable Mom Brain podcast. It's been an honor spending this time with you and your brilliant brain. If you want more resources or information from the show, head on over to theunstoppablemombrain.com. 